certain information, all right? Certain things have come to light. And, you know, has it ever occurred to you that instead of, uh, you know, running around uh, uh, blaming me, you know, given the nature of all this new shit, you know, this could be a, a lot more uh, 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 complex. I mean, it's not just, it might not be just such a simple, uh, you know? What in God's holy name are you blathering about? I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. Hey, loyal EGAT listeners. We would like all of you to continue to support this podcast. And one of the ways you can do that is to go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It's hugely invaluable for the podcast. It doesn't cost you anything but about 15 or 20 seconds of your time. And also, we'd love to know what you think, what we could be doing better, what we're doing great. And, of course, you need to grave on a curve, which is we're trying to give you B-level sports talk. Yep. So keep that in mind. You know, the, the goal is not an A-plus here, people. We're trying to give you B, B-minus. And uh, you know, if, we're filling, if we're fulfilling that goal, I'd say that's worth five stars. Right, Kevin? Absolutely. Yeah, you, you have to remember that heading into that review. Please remember that, that this is calculus for one of your kids who's not good at math. And when the 84 rolls in, that's a 98 in history that he's good at. Yeah, that's a win. That's a win. Another win, Huge win. for you, the listener, is when you support our sponsors. And we've got some great ones. And, of course, one of them that's been with us from the very start is Gabe Winslow and his excellent mortgage team. If you're looking to refi or buy a new home, all you got to do is mention this podcast. He's going to give you $500 off of closing. Gabe is ter- just tremendous and terrific at what he does, and we have been really pleased to see the number of testimonials that have poured in. I know we've shared several of those with you all, and, and we'll share some more in the future, but he's a really good, conscientious guy who is sharp as a tack, and he's on top of his game. And with interest rates fluctuating the way they are right now, you really need a mortgage broker who can work for you, who's going to partner with you, and he's going to execute at a number that's going to change your life. It's going to lower your payments. It's going to put more money in your pocket. It's going to allow you to take money out of an existing home, say if you already own it. Or if you're buying a new home, and I know a bunch of folks are moving around this country, this is the guy you want to call. 832-557-1095. Once again, that's Gabe Winslow at 832-557-1095. Gabe has measured up in all phases. And uh, the Texas Longhorn football team had a chance to measure up for some pro scouts here recently, Kevin. Yeah. Yes, they did. Um, hold on. We still – there we go. Okay. Uh, sorry, having some uh, problems here. Our board is still fried, and so Dave has set this thing up beautifully. But it's the only board we can use, so lots of people are using it. So sometimes things will go in and out there. Uh, yeah, he, uh, I, I only hope that they can measure up as much as at least on the field and execute as well uh, as Gabe has. Because I, I had, a, had a couple friends call me throughout the week and said, oh, my God, like I – I should have done this earlier. So, yeah, I mean, it's a different time right now, and those rates change. So hopefully the Texas football team can match up to that. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of optimism. Last night I kind of had this realism moment just because we've done this so many times with different coaches that I thought, you know, I was was excited about Tom Herman. And there are so many similarities if you you just had blank resumes. You could say, well, there's a lot of of things uh, in common there. With Sark being the hot offensive mind, 
both guys, Tom Herman actually had better head coaching experience, albeit at a smaller conference and only, what, two or three years of of a sample size there. But you look at what Sark did at Washington, uh, or USC, not that impressive. We know the USC thing, there, there's other components into that. And I'm not worried about that. And I do think he's become a new head coach. But once again, it's just kind of that that optimism. I think it's founded w- with with Sark and kind of how he built the staff and what he's really learned, at least what he preaches. It, he was one-dimensional. He was a... It was really Norm Chow who didn't do much as a head coach. He got his shot way too late, but you can't just be that offensive mind. There's you got to be more well-rounded, and I hope that's the case. But I think we're going to find out a lot, um, a lot about spring day and kind of what's going on there. And I guess that all starts with trying to continue the positive momentum, and a lot of that is is trying to get the first first round pick which has been a long time. You know, there's so much negative recruiting that is used against Texas, and these aren't Sark's guys. But uh, in terms of pro day, I, I, I'm hoping that some of these guys flashed enough. We'll get into it to where you don't have to keep on seeing the same numbers of the last year. Texas had a first-round pick, an offensive lineman, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, you want to, you want to derail that narrative no matter who the coach is. And, and frankly, I do think – the good news that happened at the NFL Pro Day that was held at the University of Texas campus uh, just a few days ago is the good performance from these guys I think showed is that there's not a huge talent deficit at UT right now. Uh, Texas can get better and, and certainly can get more talented. but And it, there's not even a developmental deficit in terms of strength and conditioning. The deficit was coaching on the field uh, and basically the team playing together. And I think that was borne out by some really eye-opening performances from guys like Sam Cosme. Uh, of course, Joseph Osai had a phenomenal day. Caden Stearns. Caden Stearns, yeah. I changed a lot of minds, and I think Taquan Graham also had a good performance. So let's dig in, and let's start with the guy who blew it out the water the most. That's Joe Osai. Obviously, Texas fans all know Joe is a warrior. He's going to play injured. He's going to, he's going to play with every injury. He's going to play through it. He's, he plays extremely hard. He's a well-rounded player. But there were questions, at least at the NFL level, about his burst, about his athleticism. And I think he answered that in spades. I think he did, too. I know there's also questions about his kind of his repertoire and how many different moves and counter moves he has. I think that's all good because he's just scratching the surface. You know, he started playing football really late. I want to say 12 years old. So that's only a benefit to him if I'm scouting him and looking at that and saying, okay, I got questions about the burst around the edge. I think part of that is he was very one-dimensional in kind of what he did. So you can teach him all that. He's got a very high football IQ uh, off on and off the field just got a high IQ and he's going to work his ass off as you said so I think that any of the questions are things that as scouts you can say okay well we have an answer for that and there's a reason for that and he answered any of those other questions in this combine I hope this takes him into that first round uh, you know long-winded start for me but <clears throat> I wanted to mention kind of the Sark thing because I do think this is kind of part of Part of at least you're trying to change the narrative, as you said, of this program. And part of that can be done, actually, with guys that never even played for Sark. And that'll be, you know, that'll help out on the recruiting trail. Certainly guys will buy in more once they see Sark's product. But I think Osai could be that guy. I don't think Cosme will be. I think people 
have a question. We'll get into that a little bit, kind of where he fits. But Osai answered all those questions. And like I said, the the stuff that's still up in the air, there's answers for that. I think so. So let's hit the numbers. So Joseph Osai registered a 41.5-inch vertical jump, which is huge. And the fact that he did that at 256 pounds, uh, just under six foot four, that's the kind of measurable the NFL team is going to jump at. Um, he also had a broad jump that was 10 feet, 11 and a half inches. If you're over 10, 10 and a half feet, you're very, that's a very good broad jump. And if you're at almost at 11 feet, that's elite. Uh, bench press, he did 19 reps at 225. Hey, hold on Whatever on that. Think- because Byron Jones, you know, actually at the combine recorded the longest broad jump ever. And that was 12, 12 feet, two inches, a little bit over two inches or two feet. Um, I'm sorry, two inches. And that, I mean, that is amazing at that size that, that he broad jumped that. I mean, I, I want you to get into kind of looking under the hood with vertical and broad jump, but that says a lot. Yeah, it does. So, uh, v- Broadly speaking, your vertical is your native inherent genetic power. It's your, it's, your, it's your genetic explosiveness because it's very difficult to game that measure. Either you can jump really high off the ground or you can't. Right. And it's, it's basically your ability for your body to recruit your muscles quickly. So there are guys who are extremely strong. You know, they can squat 650 pounds, but that 650-pound squat is a grind. And then there's other guys, and if you've ever seen like elite Olympic weightlifters, there's a guy named Shane Hammond. If you guys have never go YouTube this guy, he's a five foot ten, three hundred and twenty pound Olympic lifter who can easily dunk a basketball. That's that's so impressive. Yeah, and when he squats, it's called a dive bomb squat. So he's so explosive that when he squats seven hundred and fifty pounds. He drops down and pops up like it's 135 on our back. Wow. And it's incredible to see. Now, there's guys just as strong or stronger than him, but that 750-pound squat takes 14 seconds for them to grind it up from, from you know, their, the down position. And so what that vertical leap measures is your, basically your explosion, your pure power, right? It's, it's, your pow- it's your strength displayed over time. Broad jump is an element of that, but it also is a, it's a larger element of your strength. And the two are interrelated, um, vertical jump and broad jump. They're both measures of explosiveness and strength, but vertical is more of a pure measure of your explosiveness. So, yes, to broad jump almost 11 feet for a 256-pound man, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, and, and then he went and ran a, a 4.6540. Yeah. So... And a quick thing, we'll get into the other guys, but I wanted to talk about something with Osai. I actually wrote an article on Inside Texas, and if you guys aren't members, you should be. Uh, I wrote an article about Osai's evolution, and now this is comparing a- apples to oranges because these were different testing protocols. They happened in different places. They, they weren't standardized. But when Joseph Osai, back in February of 2017, was between his high school junior and senior years, or actually, I think... Uh, actually, this would be the winter uh, of, of his, uh, I believe, his senior year, 2017. He was 217 pounds, ran a 5.0540 at the Houston Regional Opening, had a 32-inch vertical, and four years later at Texas Pro Day, he's gained 40 pounds. He's dropped four-tenths of a second off his 40, 
and his vertical is up nine inches. Mm. That is incredible development. And that is actually a trajectory that even at the NFL level, I would take a look at that and note that because it, it tells you Osai was a late bloomer. It also tells you that despite everything people want to do and sort of dismiss everything from the prior regime, Yancey did a pretty good job with these guys, at least in getting their baseline attributes up and increasing their power and their strength. And what it really shows is Osai's work ethic. Yeah. You don't have those kinds of improvements unless you're a really hard worker in the weight room. And I still think there's meat left on the bone with Osai. You talked about the technique piece. I have to think that the NFL programs who don't just plug guys in, but still believe there's a developmental piece, and that's the Patriots, that's the Ravens, that's the Steelers, right? These are the classic developmental organizations. They're going to see a guy like Joseph Osai, and they're going to see someone they can teach some moves because he's raw, right? He didn't get to play pure edge. He only did it for one year. And then who knows the level of coaching he got, frankly, even in that one year. And then two, his athletic attributes are still growing. Yeah. So that is a guy that if you don't, if you, if you don't get him in the first round, you're praying you can get him in the second because he's got meat left on the developmental bone. And obviously this guy has the mental stuff that's all going to check out he's going to be 10 out of 10 on every mental evaluation yep i think you said it well and just think about some of the guys we you know, kind of had that run of guys that were maxed out like johnny high school football guy um yep. and, and think about how much football they had played at 12 when joseph osai just picked up a football 100 percent. you know i mean, yeah, to, where, I mean to where that ends up being a real positive if you're scouting the kid at 21 22 well if you're a 10 year old with a personal trainer there's a good likelihood you're maxed out at age 18. And and I tell you what's shocking, Kevin, and and you'll see this with some of the Longhorns that were at NFL Pro Day in their measurements, they measure almost identically to their high school measurements. Hmm. And, And again, that's not apples to apples. These weren't the same evaluators. But if you run a four five coming out of high school and you run a four five four years later, if your vertical leap stays exactly the same, if, if all of your attributes remain exactly the same, you are basically the same football player at age 18 as you are at 22. Yeah. And that is not a good thing for your program. No, and it's certainly not a good thing for an NFL organization, which is why you'll, you'll see guys, you go, God, I can't believe that guy, ne- guy never got a shot. And go back and look at those numbers, and they're identical. You bring up a good point. Caden Stearns, uh, are you doing a finish with Osai? Because vertical no. jump, because vertical jump, Caden Stearns did a lot, man, and he had a 42-inch vertical, um, ran a 4-4-40, flat. You know, I thought that his, his 20-yard shuttle was good. I, I really thought that, um, that it was probably the most important for him, really important for Os- Osai, and we'll get into Cosme, but because Caden Stearns, He's just got one good year of film, and it's his freshman year. And we've talked about it on this podcast. The You have to kind of question his willingness to tackle at times and and where his heart and head was. Now, he's got some things working in his favor. He's got some built-in excuses, namely the defensive coordinators, not this last year, but his first couple years that he had. And he does have that good year of tape, but – that tape tape's not going to take him as far as he wants. He was going to have to blow this out, and I think he did. Yeah, he did blow it out. I mean, the four four forty flat that that surprised me. And I understand Texas has a fast track, uh, and also, of course, these guys. It's the most favorable possible condition. So 
one of the things people don't know about the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, the classic NFL Combine, is those guys are, they've got like a 5.30 a.m. wake-up call, and they don't get to bed till midnight. No, they, do that, going, they, they do that on purpose. They do that on purpose. They, they stress them, and then they want to see how they perform athletically. So that is a contrast to a pro day in which it's, it's literally, quite literally, your home turf. And you, you, you're rested, you're ready, you don't have na- you're not on national television. You, know, mm-hmm. you, you can just go out there and perform in a stadium or, or in an area where you've practiced for four years. And so that's a huge benefit. And that's why you have to be a little leery of trying to compare a pro day time to an NFL combine time. But 4-4 is a 4-4. So even if you add a full tenth of a second, Caden Stern still exceeded expectations. I think a lot of people were thinking he was going to run like a 4-5-5, four, four, five, something like that. Yeah, I actually kind of thought Caden Stearns and Brennan Eagles maybe a little flip-flopped on that 40. We'll get to Brennan, but uh, but yeah, Caden had the best 40 time, and there's still going to be questions. I mean, I think people are still going to ask some stuff. Like I said, I do think he's got some built-in excuses for his freshman and sophomore year, and his freshman year, he had a he was a ball hawk, and, and that's the type of stuff you want to put on film. There were some injuries how much would you be concerned about, as we've talked about on this podcast throughout the year, th- throughout the season, his willingness to tackle? Yeah, that's a concern. I, I think the larger concern for some of the NFL programs is some – look, some NFL teams adopt a pure metrics and film perspective, which is they don't really care about the character a- aspects. And they don't care about maybe the, desire, the degree to which maybe someone's in love with football or, or even, you know, they, they sort of think that if you accumulate enough talent, it works itself out. And there's enough, positive attrib- there's enough positive results that you think that, you know, that can work. Kansas City takes a few questionable character guys, right? And it's, so far it's worked. It hasn't blown up yet. Conversely, you see plenty of NFL locker rooms that set themselves on fire because of character risks. Then there's the guys, namely Cincinnati, namely Cincinnati for like a decade, right? (laughs) Cincinnati for 10, perennially Cincinnati, right? Uh, But then across not far away in the same division, you've got incredibly hard nosed, edgy players playing for Baltimore and that, that locker room never blows up, right? They're all focused one goal. So it's, it's interesting. The other thing is there's the, our kind of guy aspect, you know, that, that was popularized by obviously the Washington Huskies, but that's the classic New England thing of, yeah, the guy may fit athletically, but we're not sure he fits what we're trying to do, we're, you know, in terms of IQ, in terms of willingness to sacrifice for the greater whole, et cetera, et cetera. I think the questions about Caden Stearns are not physical attributes. I think, I think they have to do with the degree to which he's in love with football. Interesting. Yeah. And you're right. Teams are kind of split on that. I, I, I think so. I think with those numbers, it's not going to surprise me at all if someone uh, takes a chance in the third round on them and maybe even high in the third round. Yeah. Look, there is no accounting for 32 GMs in the NFL. And, you know, there's a variance of opinions. And I tell you, the extra wrench that's thrown into this is COVID because you have so many high level players that sat out the entire year. And, you know, how do you go about evaluating that? Do you take a big leap on some of these guys, even like a Panay Sewell, who everyone thinks has a high potential to be an NFL star? Or are you more leery of these guys and you want to see guys who, who went out and played and have stuff on film? So we'll see. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about 
Mr. Cosme? Yeah, let's get to Sam Cosme because Sam Cosme did the bench press is uh, 225 pounds and it's how many reps you can do. He did it 36 times, which is, I think, pretty impressive. Maybe the most impressive thing for him was a 40-yard dash where he runs a 4.84, and that really shows some athleticism. I, look, I think Sam Cosby was a really damn good tackle. I Just from everything that I've read and heard, it does seem like teams, a lot of teams have questions if he can truly be that left tackle and, and be that guy. And then some even kind of wonder if he'd be a average to good right tackle, but maybe even a really, really good guard. So it could play. I think he's, I think he's going to play in the league for a long time. So I'm not worried about that. But in terms of being a first-round pick, I'd be really surprised. I think he's a tackle. I think the left-right tackle thing is kind of going away just because the nature of the NFL. They're, they're increasingly putting good pass rushers on the right side. They are. And so that delineation is kind of falling apart. And then It's falling apart, but, man, I've read that enough that that, that is still – when I – you know – People still will say, well, we don't think he's that good of a tackle on if it's a blind side. You're right. I mean, that, that, that whole notion is, is faded a little bit, but I'm seeing that enough where people do have questions about that. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I also think the NFL is so tackle-starved that if, if you have the baseline attributes and they don't feel like you were optimally coached, they're going to draft you, and, and he, could, he, could, he could absolutely make the bottom of the first round or, or certainly the, the second. Hmm. So, yeah, we'll see where he goes. I think the other thing that helped him beyond the sub-5040, which is you know pretty impressive for a guy his size, Yes, he measured out. I don't know what his arm length was, but he measured out at like a legit 6'5"-ish, and that was important as well because – I think there had been some concerns that he was actually, you know, six three and seven eighths or something like that, but that's not the case. He's like over six foot five, and uh, he carries his weight really well. I mean, if you if you saw the clips of his pro day, he, that dude looks great for a three hundred and fifteen pound guy. Yeah, no, he he does. Um, I I think he's going to be a really good player. He's got good feet, and you know, I I, I kind of wonder too if there's, um, so sometimes there's almost a, um, uh too much of a parallel with guys that were there before you. Connor Williams was a left tackle, a three-star, a lot like Sam Cosme, and he has not worked out at tackle, has been moved to guard. I think there's differences in their game, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just not, not getting a good feeling, and that could obviously change until the draft of him being a first-round pick. And you're right, they are, are tackle-starved. He's kind of in that spot, though, because you've got Penny Sewell, who you mentioned. Some people even have Rashawn Slater, who's above, above them. And then I believe it's a Virginia Tech kid. Someone's really shooting up. So there's three guys that are different. He's kind of in that in that range of anywhere uh, four. And actually, Tevin Jenkins would be ahead of them. So like five to eight or nine. Liam Eikenberg. Uh, I'm doing all this off the top of my head, so help me out here. Alex Leatherwood. That Those, those are the kind of guys that I, I just think there's – you're right, they're tackle star, but I don't see six going in the first round. Yeah, I was going to try to help you out. Then I realized you named every offensive tackle that I know coming out. Uh, <laughs> everyone else is a mystery to me. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I think the thing that could play in his favor, at least in terms of a good landing spot, is this is going to be a fascinating draft because I think it's a very talented draft. And there's a real desperation for quarterbacks. And then there's some high profile receivers. Mm-hmm. And I don't 
necessarily think that NFL teams learned their lesson last year or the years previous on wide receiver. I understand Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase. These are really good players. But the drop-off from a, the elite wide receivers to the second-round wide receivers not is much. not that steep. It's really not. Whereas, whereas with some of these offensive linemen, once you get past Cosby and Leatherwood, it's a steep drop-off. And I got to think that there's some NFL GMs who are going to think, while everyone's snapping up all these quarterbacks and, and, and wide receivers – we're just going to load up for bear on the offensive line and snatch up all these offensive tackles and, and really try to, to get bargains and, and affordable contracts and just build out our team from there. And then we'll go back and, and get our skill players in the second and third rounds. So we'll see if that eventuates. It's going to be a fascinating draft. And ultimately, I just want Cosme and Osai to have a good landing spot. Another guy who needs a good landing spot because I don't think his best attributes were utilized well in hey, Texas. Hey, hold on. Juan Graham. Before we get to Taquan, I want to get back to your point because that was a really interesting point that you just made. And sure, and well, because we're always waiting for those trends to pop. I mean, I've even seen Najee Harris in the first round, and I'm thinking, guys, guys, guys. I thought I thought we'd gotten over that, you know, in a lot of mocks and some teams. Maybe if that's all you need and you can win it next year, then you take them late in the first round. But we've talked about the running back position, but I'm kind of waiting for that receiver position, and more importantly, the point you made, the offensive tackle position, where every draft's going to be different. So if you know there's a cutoff, and after Eichenberg, Cosme, or Leatherwood, man, it is a steep drop downhill. I, you know, maybe you could all of a sudden get a run on those guys, and you go, we're not even sure that all six guys are first rounders, but they essentially went around there because of the run. So. That's a good point, and that'll be kind of a trend every year we're looking for. We'll see if that happens this year. Yeah, I, absolutely. I just It's going to be a really fascinating draft because you're going to have these very divergent opinions on how to evaluate the guys who sat out COVID or how to evaluate really good players at non-premium positions. In other yep. words, how do you evaluate That's Pitts it. from Florida who might be pound for pound the best player in the draft outside of the quarterbacks, right? Yeah. And – if that's true, then you can't just value him as a normal tight end, right? This is a game-changing guy. What about Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State? Hey, the linebacker position has been devalued somewhat in the NFL, but what if you have the best linebacker? What's yeah. that worth? Yep. And so all these teams have to make those decisions and, and figure out like where these guys slate. But what never changes is if you have good offensive linemen and good offensive tackles, you can still put together an offense. Good point. Good point. Yeah, we'll be fun. We love the draft, but you're always looking for what's going to change. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. All right, you mentioned Taquan Graham. I like Taquan, just like him as a player. So I think he can play in the NFL, too. I felt like that before Pro Day, but I think he helped himself out. He was second in bench press with 32 reps of 225. And um, I'm trying to think of what else he did that was impressive. Um, he ran a four nine forty. Yes, a four nine three forty, which um, gets back to your explosive explosiveness and kind of getting under the hood and understanding kind of what his ceiling could be. Yeah, you know, I don't know if he's a high ceiling guy. I think he's a I think he's a high floor guy, and you know, there's not a huge appeal necessarily to the run stopping defensive lineman in the NFL anymore. But I think he's got a little bit more pass rushing ability than people gave him credit, partly of because how he was used at Texas. And I, I see some Malcolm Roach. I don't think he's 
quite as explosive as Malcolm, but just like you and I were pretty confident Malcolm Roach was going to make uh, a team and, and, and uh, you know, ended up becoming a starter for the Saints, uh, which has a very good roster. I think Taquan Graham is going to work his way onto the 53, and I think he's going to have a, a little NFL career ahead of him. I do too, and, and yeah, I should have couched that with the ceiling of most people don't think Taquan Graham is going to have a four- or five-year NFL career, and I think he can. And I, I honestly, I didn't think he was going to run that. Um, not that that's blowing it away, but at his size, um, I I kind of wonder if how he was used here and if there is a little bit more explosiveness in there. So, uh, I mean, look, he could definitely be – a UDFA in the same vein um, as Malcolm Roach, where that was clearly set up. That was a draft pick for the Saints, if you really look at the contract and the guarantees and how far they went in. Yeah, I think you're right, and um, that was a steal. And that's that's why the Saints are pretty good every year, not just Drew Brees, uh, which we'll be finding out soon. Uh, But, yeah, uh, Tariq Black ran a four five three. Or, <laughs> I know. Do you think maybe uh, Texas has slick ball bearings on that track, or what's going on? I don't know. Maybe he got back to um, kind of to where he was. Uh, I I was hoping. You know, I I had said preseason that if Black can stay healthy, then then he's going to be a good player. That was just his problem at Michigan, and for the most part, he stayed healthy, but he was just didn't do much here and had some drops. And then when he did actually get out. In, op- in the open, just did not look like the same guy at Michigan that was pretty explosive. Yeah, so he runs a four-five-three with Chris Brown. Um, it's definitely, man, maybe you definitely think about the track right there, but Tariq Black is, uh, I'd be very surprised if he ever suits up for an NFL team. Yeah, I think you're right, and unfortunately, I don't know what degree of that's injuries have just sort of reduced his physical athleticism. And I think that's a lot. He might just be a pure combine shorts shorts and t-shirt guy now where you get a few hits on him you put put him in pads and his his athletic abilities just fall apart what what about the other guy i mentioned there chris brown four five three i think chris brown could could make a club or make a couple practice rosters and and hang around the biggest question i had about him i thought this was a big day for him too because unlike caden stearns uh his best film is last year and and he's got a lot of it so he's coming off a year where he's got good film, I think that will show, and I think people will look at that. I'm also curious just how much scouts are more focused on film this year because of the lack of an indie combine and because of COVID. They're meeting, but not. it's not going to be kind of like it was where, where you really felt like they, they got a good feel on these guys. But Brown was going to have to really show out with his athleticism, and he did have a, a 42020 and the four five three forty, that was kind of the question about him. He had a really good cone drill too, uh, too or at least six point eight five. I don't know if that's really good. It was best best on Texas. So, do you think he helped himself out? He helped himself. He had to show he had enough athletic ability. I think people already know he's not an ultra athlete. He's not a freak. Uh, but what he is is smart. He's driven. He'll tackle, and he's not going to bust. Right? Yeah. He will learn your de- defense. He'll learn your scheme. And eventually, he could even be a guy that could be a director of traffic for you. So I think he's a guy that, uh, if he's an undrafted free agent, he'll actually be bid on. I think he'll get some offers, like some decent um, propositions. He'll have some suitors. 
And then I, I could see him easily becoming a guy that makes a scout team. Yeah. And they, they want to groom him and develop him and, and try to teach him the defense and see what he can become. Yeah, no, I'm telling you, we, we, we've seen it a lot. Guys, we thought were going to make it and didn't. Guys, you thought there's no way, just the athleticism going to stop them. And if they've got a high football IQ and they hang around the practice squad long enough and they just get better and better and better, then all of a sudden um, they're out there, like you said, running traffic. Here's a guy who really needed to show out because he is more on the, I'd say, Caden Stearns uh, area, but he didn't even have that type of a freshman year where you could look and say, whoa, he's got some film, most of it are nine routes, but Brendan Eagles needed to come out here, and I thought he needed to be definitely sub 4-5. He runs a 4-5-5. I think Brendan Eagles hurt himself more than anyone in this pro day. I think that's right. Yeah, he had to basically dazzle with crazy athletic attributes to make people read something into him that wasn't necessarily on the film. And I don't think he did that. I also think there's going to be some questions about him in terms of buy-in on football. And, you know, ultimately, I don't, I don't think he did himself any favors. I, I, would, I would be surprised if he would be drafted. Now, there's a lot of uh, self-anointed uh, NFL draft scouts on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with this fascinating subculture of, of weirdos i'm who, one of them how dare you oh my god they're, I, they're I, the best it's hilarious <laughs> to read their tweets but uh a lot of these guys had bread and eagles going like at the fourth or fifth round and i'm like i, yeah. I don't think you watched bread and eagles no, uh fella no. so uh i don't i don't see him getting drafted but man maybe there's some dynamic that i'm not seeing um i've, I've heard people try to compare him to dk metcalf but <laughs> i mean <laughs> I mean, <laughs> maybe walking in the room, but not even that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I've been compared to George Clooney, and it, that doesn't come out very well for me. So, no, yeah, I, I I don't know what that means. Um, I, I'll say this: that teams get to the sixth and definitely in the seventh round, and that's where that's where they will throw out um, someone who they hate on film, who they think's probably a pussy getting off coverage. A lot of stuff that that you'd look at and go, I don't want to draft this guy, but man, the measurables are there. The problem is the four five five. So if that would have been lower with his size, you could maybe envision trying trying to to work him into that. But so maybe seventh round they'll use that on something like him. But with the four five five, now I would think he goes undrafted. One well, wide receivers. I mean, that's the, it's the most loaded position. It's a dime a dozen. Yeah. Why would you draft any kind of project that you might have to cut on the third day of camp? Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't see it. But, hey, there's 32 NFL GMs, and they all see the world differently. No, they, they do. Uh, but that, that's also a lot. It seems like so many teams have already gotten their wide receivers, the one or two that they're going to take in the draft by the time you get to the seventh round. So we'll see if, we'll see if he goes. Anything else? Any other takeaways from Pro Day? I got no takeaways on Pro Day. I think we want to transition to our real core staple, college basketball. Shaka Smart. Man, finally. Finally, it's about time. So Paul and I will talk about quickly, briefly, what we're going to talk about. Uh, actually, no, we write down every word, and we've been reading this the whole time. So, which makes yeah, this is all in a script. Makes it even more pathetic. Um, yeah, it should be better if it was on the script. <laughs> yeah, we're writing it. Uh, but... You said, uh, I had it on the list, I was like, all right, we got to talk Texas basketball. I've mentioned it a couple times, but we've had other stuff to talk about, and you're like, no, we'll get to it, and I guess now's the time to get to it, huh? 
Yeah, well, before we stake that claim on Texas basketball, and because I am excited, I want to watch this game on Saturday against Abilene Christian, I want to talk about how you can stake your claim in Central Texas, specifically Austin and this incredible real estate market that's going on. Kevin, Laura Baker has come onto this podcast. She is our representative in the Austin, Texas area. She's been a real estate broker since 2007, and she's part of the Andy Allen real estate team. Uh, she grew up in Austin. She knows the city inside and out. She's also a huge Longhorn football fan. She has all of her degrees from Texas. And here's an interesting thing she submitted to me as a form of a little trivia to give you an idea of what's going on in this crazy Austin market. Cool. So right now, here's the deal. New home builders have moved to a lot bid process. Back in the old days when you went to go buy a new home at a builder, you would like show up and they'd have some specs built and you'd kind of see the home you were going to buy and you could pick out your house and all that. Yeah, you'd That's shake all... hands with Doyle Wilson and you're good to go. You shook your hands with Doyle Wilson and boy, you walked into your house and you knew three months later it was going to be finished and new house. Well, now they're moving to lot bids, which is you bid on the lot, you pick your house, your home plan, and hopefully a year later you've got a house. Well, the buyers have to bid on the lot before you even start building the home. And what they're doing is they have to submit their highest offer on an individual lot. It's not an auction. So last week, a new home builder in Austin released 43 lots in three suburban neighborhoods. 43 lots. Would you like to know? And by the way, they opened it up in like a 48-hour window. Okay. So it, it wasn't sitting there. Do you want to know how many bids they had, they had on 43 lots? On 43 lots. I'm going to go big because I'm familiar enough with it. Um, I mean, it, it blows Guys like us, I mean, it blows our mind. Um, I'm going to say for 43, I mean, I would think 100. 2,000. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so there's an inventory shortage in Austin. That's, yeah. the point. That's your takeaway. If you are a seller and you want to find out if this is an optimal time to sell your house, contact Laura Baker, 512 Seven eight four zero five zero five. That's five one two seven eight four zero five zero five. She will give you a no obligation assessment of the market. She'll tell you some strategizing and strategery that she knows as an Austin insider with tons of years of experience in Austin in this market. And she's got some inside scoop on some not available for public listings uh, that can help that's people understand huge. how to position their home. That and is huge. That's that. That's the key right now. That is key, and whether you're a buyer or a seller. So if you want to work with the best in Austin, 512-784-0505. Kevin, talk about Texas basketball. I'm just still blown, uh, blown away by that. And I knew I was pro- – I didn't want to go – it's one of those where you don't want to go over because then it takes away all your steam, and you're like, no, thanks for guessing 9,000, asshole. Yeah, it's, it's- you like, know. hey, Kevin, I took, a, I took an IQ test. I did really well. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And you're like, 180? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, 180? 185? I'm like, uh, uh, one, uh, 120. So I kind of knew I was going low, but I even, you know, I still would have said, I don't know, 300, 400. I mean, because you wouldn't think that every lot necessarily would get one bid. The primo lots may get four or five bids, but that's just – that tells you everything right now, kind of the market market we're living in. Man, Austin has completely changed. you got to have someone like Laura on your side. I'm glad she's part of our team. You know what? I'm glad we have our team, brother. I haven't said that about Texas basketball 
or Texas really Texas football outside of the Sugar Bowl year, or really Texas baseball. Yeah, it's kind of it's been frustrating in a long time. Um, and I've still got tons of questions about Shaka. I've been critical of him. I think as you have, and really anyone who knows and has watched their knows basketball and has watched the team. Um, it's been a tough five years, but he I thought he's made some nice moves the last couple weeks. And this team, like every Shaka team, and almost you know any team out there is going to have their ups and downs. The ups and downs seem to really get steep uh, with Shaka's teams. They had half court issues offensively, something that's another been a problem for five years for them. But they've come together. They've been moving the basketball so much better since that three game road win streak that they had to end the regular season, and then obviously the two games in Kansas City defensively. They've been really good. They're not getting into as much foul trouble. You got to see Jericho Sims play 36 minutes in in that in that final game against Oklahoma State, and that's been a problem for him. So a lot of the dumb issues they've had and space cadet issues when their offense will have those seven or eight minute stretches of just shooting threes and not putting the ball on the floor and throwing lobs or just working inside out. They, they've kind of cured that. They've fixed it. This has been a fun, watchable team the last couple of weeks, man. 100%. Yeah, it's, it's, there was, I've tuned into them at different times of the year, and it got, I tuned in at the part where it was a bit of a slog. They were on the slide. And then, of course, they had that big COVID break, which I think really hurt their development. It right? Basketball is a rhythm game. You want to keep playing. You want to play frequently and often. But that Big 12 t- title run was beautiful. And that was a hell of a game against Oklahoma State. Jericho Sims, you get that guy playing more than 30 minutes, he's an absolute dominator. And then they've wisely put a lot of the offense on Matt Coleman, which is exactly what you want to see right before the NCAA tournament. Uh, I like the trajectory of this team. I'm ready to buy in. I just need Shaka to to give me hope, give me a reason, and I'm looking for that on Saturday. Yeah, uh, good point about Coleman. You know, Courtney Ramey was a no-show in the Big 12 tournament. Andrew Jones actually didn't play. He hit 10 free throws, didn't play well in the game against Oklahoma State. And they did look like the fresher team, and they didn't have to play Kansas because of COVID the night before. So they looked like a team who had that day off. But that'll be the schedule they have in the NCAA tournament. You play, get a day off and then play, but I love their energy. Energy. I like the, the pressure, three-quarters court pressure that they started out with, and some of that's to get the ball out of Cade Cunningham's hands, but I, I they can do different things. They can win and lose different games, and that'll be interesting as they go up against ACU, who's really good defensively and actually held Tech, lost to Tech 51-44. That was in December, but Tech turned the ball over on 25% of their possessions. ACU's the best team in the country at turning people over. So Texas can get sloppy. They can get lackadaisical and lazy. And they can have those moments where they turn it over a lot. And so I, I hope that we see more of the Texas team the last couple of weeks and not the one that, that we all saw during that slide that you're referencing. But even if they get past that, I saw BYU play Gonzaga you got to be careful with sample size. I don't watch nearly. I mean, I used to watch college basketball eight games a night if it was on when it was a really good product. And, you know, I still like the tournament, but the regular season is what it is now. But I watched Gonzaga, BYU, their conference tournament final. And BYU is everything you'd think they would be. 26-year-old white guys that really will stretch you out and shoot a ton of threes. And they were hitting a ton of threes. These guys have been playing together for a long time. I think BYU could be a tough out, and so could Michigan State, who's been really hot. They started out like crap, but they've beaten 
in the last month, what, Michigan, Illinois, they've beaten, you know, two of the top five teams in the country. And with Izzo, I want no part of that, man. No doubt. Yeah, Izzo's tournament experience, his ability to very quickly scout a team, which is key in NCAA tournament preparation, you've got to quickly get a sense of, okay, here's the two things we got to do, fellas. You ingrain that in their team, and then they go out and execute. And Izzo has proven masterful at that. So I'm a little scared of that, but I'm like you. I think BYU is the team that I have the most fear of in the bracket, but I'm also not going to look past Abilene Christian. So uh, quick high points on Abilene Christian. You are absolutely right about the defense. Number one in opponent turnover percentage in NCAA basketball. That really is a product of not only their coaching and their, and their, their guard play. They've got four guards that they rotate who are good at extending ball pressure, but they're deep, Kevin. So yeah. they played nine guys, 14 plus minutes per game, including a seven foot center, Colton Cole, who's their leading scorer. Now Colton only logs about just under 20 minutes per game. So when he's in there, they're feeding the ball to him, but he's not in there all the time. Uh, they've got a, a sharp shooting forward named Joe Pleasant, who short, shoots 47% from three. He's their best three-point shooter. And then their best guard is Corian Mason. And beyond that, they've got a couple of interesting guys that are also guards. So there's a guy named Reggie Miller. Yeah. Not that Reggie Miller. It's Cheryl. It's Cheryl Miller. No, it's, it's – a similar kind of Reggie Miller in that he's a very skinny guy, six feet, 150 pounds. He runs point guard for him. Not a shooter, but good ball handler, good distributor, and very good at defensive pressure. They like to bring in another guy along with him named Damian Daniels. And I don't know if you've seen him, but he's 5'7", about 140 pounds. Oh and he is I knew they were small, fun. but Jesus. Well, so their front line is decently sized, and their four guards, they rotate them. So but, if Daniels but, is getting exploited, they take them off the floor. But the guards but, are small. You're right. They've got the two big guys, and I think people saw that and thought it's a big team. And I was looking through it last night, and that's where Texas has a lot of size advantage, you know, in, in the backcourt. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and Daniels is a guy that he's, he's frenetic. He gets out there. He generates turnovers. He, he just flies all over the place. But if you can exploit him on the other end, if you can body him up, and I'm not saying post him up necessarily, but if you could just drive to the basket and, and exploit this guy, the fact that you have seven inches on him, uh, that can create some opportunities. And then also what's interesting about ACU, offensively, not very good. Uh, efficiency adjusted. They're 157th in college basketball. But what they do is disperse their shooting. So they really distribute their minutes. They also distribute their three-point shooting. So basically, it's seven guys all around Cole in the middle in the paint, mm -hmm. and then all of them can potentially hit a three. Right. None of them are particularly great except for Pleasant. And then Corion uh, uh, is a pretty decent shooter, Corion Mason. But the other guys are acceptable shooters. So you can't abandon them. You've got to really let Jericho Sims handle Cole. And as long as you stay out on their shooters – they really don't have the ability to create against a long and athletic Texas defense. No, it's well said. It's a good scouting report, and that's what usually teams that are a 14 seed like this, we should see it back in the day with uh, Princeton running a, a different different system. But when they're really tough, it's when they've got one big guy and they've got four guys that, that you can't cheat from, right? So they can yep. spread you out as much as they can, and they just hope they're hitting threes. But – 
Abilene Christian wants his game in the 60s. Texas wants it more in the 70s and 80s, and and that's when Texas will feel good. In fact, everyone Texas is going to play, including Michigan State-UCLA. Michigan State-UCLA could be a 51-50 game. I think Michigan State will win that, but that's going to be an ugly game. Really, the next th- you know two games for Texas, assuming they get past this one, they're going to try and muck it up, and it's up to Texas to to try and not do that. And what worries me about Texas is – Teams like Texas Tech, Chris Beard, Press Virginia, and Bob Huggins. The last couple years with these guys, I know this year is different, they've been able to do that, and including this year at times where Texas will will get caught in that style of game, and, and it's probably not the perfect game for them to play. No, and here's the thing that's really frustrating, and, and it does frustrate me about Shaka. You don't have to consent to that particularly when you have great potential frontline rebounding, so you can hit the offensive boards, you can protect the defensive boards, and you've got a great point guard that you trust. Yeah. You, you've got to be willing to push the pace, particularly when you've got Kai Jones and Greg Brown. I mean, for their size, you will not find faster, more athletic big men in college basketball. And, you know, we've got Greg Brown – I mean, who obviously struggled in the Big 12 tournament. We've got him off the ball at the three-point line, facing up on people like it's an NBA circa 1994 ISO play. Yeah. And he dribbles it off his foot, or he gets stripped by a defender coming behind him, and he gets frustrated, and he vocalizes, and then he gets, you know, and he fouls on the other end because he's pissed off. And, I mean, why get him in that headspace? If you're Shaka Smart, go to Greg Brown and to a lesser extent Kai Jones and say, listen, guys, you are far too athletic for this team. You're going to be more athletic than every team we play in the front line. I want you to hit the boards hard. I want you to run like a cheetah on transition, and we're going to find you in space, and you're going to create. And you're going to create at the dunker position when Matt Coleman penetrates, and we're going to get you a double-double just by playing hard and attacking the the rim. Please don't go one for five from three-point land. That's not what we need from you. I think you make some great points, and I don't think Brown's been utilized. I would have utilized him more in the front court, but he only got six minutes against Oklahoma State. The reality is it's not just the Big 12 tournament. The last month, month and a half, Greg Brown has not been playing well, and we, we can get in we can parcel out who gets fault for that. Obviously, some of that's on Brown, some of that's on the coaching staff, and some of that's just the situation, but he doesn't need to be playing a lot of minutes right now. And Kai Jones, I was glad he got the start in that game against Oklahoma State. And with Jace Febris being your gunner, um, and then you've got Cunningham and Ham as your law firm of of kick-ass, you know, and and we're going to give you high-energy defense, depending on if that fits. I mean, I would have Brown play some minutes, but he's just, you know, Greg Brown's a perfect example of kind of the bug in the system that he's going to be a first-round draft pick, and he really has no game right now. He's just incredibly athletic, so... I would I'd try to win basketball games and and if Greg can help you out, utilize him the way that you said. You know, make sure you're yeah, a dunker. So can't you play him? Can can't you give him that instruction? Uh, not not right now. Him? No, he he's he's so in his own head. Not right now. You can't play him for five minutes and see if he'll do it. You can play him for five just... minutes, but he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't have. He doesn't have. He, look, he goes left all the time. The books out on him on that, and he can't go right. He really can't do much when he puts the ball on the floor. I thought he was a hell of a lot more developed. I was hoping he would be in the stuff I had heard about how good he was. But he was playing at Vandergrift and, and could obviously just 
out-athlete pretty much anyone he played. And I think he's going to be a really good player. He's got a ton of potential. But right now, you're trying to win basketball games. So I would keep his minutes to 8 to 10 at the most and and obviously see how, how it's playing out there. But, yes, I would still give that instruction, but I would have been giving that instruction to him all year long. And there have been times where he's played that role of, you know what, I'm going to block shots, I'm going to rebound, and I'm going to try and, and just use my athleticism on on alley-oops and putbacks and all that stuff. But the problem is is that he's just so one-dimensional. He's not nearly he's not nearly the weapon he should be, and it doesn't put that much pressure on the defense. Well, you're right, and I'm very frustrated in an offense that has four viable guards that – you would play him facing up, you know, because the, the issue I have is you saying he doesn't, you know, he goes left, he, he doesn't have, he can't put the ball on the floor. Yeah, why is he doing that? Fair, right? totally I mean, agree, totally agree. Why do we have faced up on the basket at the three-point line when we've got four viable guards? And, I mean, our spacing is not a problem. And, and you know, Jericho Sims, his outstanding game aside against Oklahoma State, it's not like we've got, you know, freaking – uh, Charles Barkley down low inside that we're trying to feed. So, you know, let him rim run, let him slash, let him, I mean, I mean, I mean, dive to the basket, yeah. not slash with the ball right. hand. And, and, and if he can't, ex- I just don't understand to, to your point, you're right. The, you're talking about the end product and where we are in reality. The reality is we can't play him. I guess my concern is six weeks ago, why didn't we redraw this up? Talk to Greg and explain to him that if he could stay on the court for 20 to 25 minutes, rebounding, running, and playing the dunker position, he'll have 12 points and 11 boards. Yeah. I don't know. On, on six shooting, by the way. Yeah, it's a great question. And we've talked about it, uh, BK and I have talked about it with Rod on the show all year long, that that, that he's just being he's being utilized the wrong way and underutilized because of that but it was going to have to be I mean we said yeah he's got to be more of a front court guy he doesn't be facing up and I don't know if I said it wrong uh he always goes left so that that's the book which is actually it's not his dominant hand but it's surprising but he started picking up charges like a month ago and guys were just you know he's either going to shoot a three or he's going to put the ball on the floor and he's going to be heading left and someone just hopped out in front of him and knew what was happening, and I thought, ah, shit, the book is yeah. out. So he just hasn't developed. I, I Certainly the, the blame is not all on him. But you also don't know, to get a guy like him, you don't know in, in every sport um, the promises they may have gotten, not only with playing time, but how, how we're going to use you. Yeah, I mean, because the, the, the fear is that you promised him, hey, we're going we're gonna to make you Kevin Durant, mm-hmm. right? And and of course, he has no game even remotely resembling a freshman Kevin Durant. So that is a shame. And you're right. This is a guy who's going to be the NBA first-round draft pick. And with a year or two of developmental work, because one thing about the NBA that has shifted dramatically is it used to be you developed and refined your game in college. And then you went to the NBA and you were just kind of, you just played a bunch of ball, right? Right. Now you're not developing or refining your game in college except for a handful of programs. You're going to the NBA, and then they've got all the developmental coaches, right, that they, they specifically hire and assign to these guys, shooting coaches, big man coaches. They all get, have individual workouts that they have to do, and that's how they develop. And, and if you talk to a guy like Royal Ivy, who really is good at that aspect of, of coaching, and that's the big difference that I think some people are frustrated with with Shaka is that 
you don't see great individual development other than the development that you'd naturally expect from a Matt Coleman who started forever and has, you know, a hundred and something games and, you know, in his pocket, yeah. but it's, it's the Kai Jones. It's the, it's the Jericho Sims. It's the, it's the Greg Browns who just don't develop on a, on a rapid enough timeline in college. Yeah. Kai Jones can be a first round pick too. They, they love his athleticism, but he's just now starting for this team. Good to have Jace Febris back. Because Andrew Jones and especially Courtney Ramey, they're going to have to play well. And if they if they go up against BYU, BYU has enough guards. It can't just be the Matt Coleman show. And let's remember that that was an aberration. I mean, Matt Coleman's not going to put up 30. That was Matt Coleman's best game of his career. And, man, we needed it. Good to get the first conference tournament uh, championship. I Hell, man, they, they were 0-6 before then. I thought they had Kansas done a couple of those games where they're up 20 or 25 oh and man remember those in kansas would oh, come yeah. back texas would come out with like dj augustine and durant they came out on fire and i thought we're gonna win this thing and it just was not enough so this team was able to do it albeit in two games and texas fans are getting crap for that eh, screw them just enjoy it uh no one's gonna look at that in 10 years uh and say hey i remember that we're just going to remember that Texas won the uh, won the tournament championship. You know, one thing I want to say, but maybe before we can give our final thoughts on this, is it's just you got to be careful as a Texas fan to not be too prisoner of the moment. And part of that is I'm seeing a lot of Texas fans saying, "Well, if he, you know, got to give Shaka that extension now. He's got two years left on his deal. The word is that he wants an extension. If not, he'll start looking." I, I would be very careful with doing this. We got a sample size of five years. This is by far his most talented team. I'm very happy for the team. I'm loving it. Um, I'm happy for Shaka. I'm proud of Shaka. He's been a great representative for the university, but you're paying millions of dollars to win games and to build a program. And he hadn't done that in the five years before this. Next year, they're going to lose a lot of talent. I That smells of David McWilliams if you give him an extension. I agree 100%. This is time to be a little tough-nosed and a little tough-edged on this. And look, it, it bears mentioning not only Texas history. Of course, we had the re-up with Tom Herman on the Sugar Bowl high, right? We were on our, we had a little sugar high, and we ran around like crazy and frenetic. And then ten minutes later, we were unconscious napping, right? Well, it is New Orleans, and, so that's a typical day there, right? Exactly right. And uh, well, so we learned our. I hope we learned our lesson there. But for Shaka. It's very telling. Not only is this his most talented team, it's his most experienced by far. Great and point, which is even more important. <laughs> particularly experienced at the guard position where effectively they can just run the show. And that is the exact profile of the Virginia Commonwealth team that elevated Shaka Smart into the national profile with that deep tourney run. Joey and Rodriguez. That's it. And those guys controlled the pace of the game. They hit clutch shots and they ran that tournament. And that happens in the NCAA tournament. So, yes, we want Texas to make a deep run. We want Texas to win the whole damn thing. Why yes. not? But all that said, look, if, if we win the whole damn thing, Shock is getting extended. <laughs> if, if, we get to the, if we get to the Elite Eight, I bet you he does. But if we get to the Final Four, I, I, I at least would understand it then. I don't like the thinking, but I know that's, that's the way it works. Yeah, it's just the way it works. And But I would say if Texas goes to the Sweet 16 or even just has a tough bow out to BYU in the next whatever, man, I, I, I think you have the opportunity to be very hard-nosed about this. And if you're going to extend Shaka, I'd extend him a year. And I'd make it wait and see. At, at most, that's what I'd do. And if, and if he says, well, 
You're, you're compromising my ability to recruit. You're compromising my ability to be the head coach. This is a vote of no confidence. I, I need to look for jobs. Then, you know, maybe Texas needs to prepare plan B and plan C. But I, I would be very reluctant to throw a four-year extension on this guy based on, on one exciting team. Yeah, but it's kind of shaping up that way. Uh, but you know what? I hope we have to talk about it because I hope they make a run. I don't feel good about that second round. And some of it is that, especially with teams that, that finish the season off well, and I've definitely done this in the mini brackets I've filled out over the years, I'm sure you have too, where it's recency bias. And you and maybe you just saw them or you've seen more of them because more people were watching basketball during that time. Just like I talked about with BYU, Texas could blow them out. And I'm thinking, man, that really was their A-plus game against Gonzaga, a game they still lost. But I... I I, sometimes you got to worry about the teams that really put it on late if they've been up and down all year long. And so if you've been up and down and you're on your, you know, and you're doing pretty well right now, there's a good chance that you're going to slip up kind of like, cause that, that's your pattern. That's who you are as a team. And that's one of the things I worry about to go with the matchups of BYU. I think it's a really good six seed and Michigan state's been playing pretty good basketball and we know what Izzo can do. I think that's, that's very well said, and particularly for the NCAA tournament, which really is a heat check and puts a, a huge primacy on guard play. Yeah. And they can just utterly dominate a game. And you know, there, there are so many good, great college big men and forwards, and, and of course, who became NBA. They couldn't dominate NCAA tournament games mm. because it's the game, the way it's played. Uh, you could even play a shorter rotation. Struggled with depth all year. All those TV timeouts help you rest your team. And you can play in these little three to five minute bursts where a couple of really good experienced guards can just dominate these little bursts and then get their rest. And then they come back and do it again. Whereas in a normal game and it's normal pacing, they have to get rested. They have to take their breaks. They have to pick their spots. And that's when the other team can assert itself. So it's just a different kind of basketball. And it's not one that Shaka has shown himself adaptable to here at Texas, but Good news, Kevin and Texas fans, is this Texas team checks every box of a viable oh, tournament run. They really do. Veteran guards. You've got some three-point shooters. You've got length. You've got two pogo sticks. Um, yep. they, they can do a lot defensively. No, they really do. The problem, and that's why I can see a lot of people who haven't seen them all year, um, and just as, just as you can have recency bias or too small of a sample size, sometimes you can have too big of a sample size. And I've watched almost like a lot of people listening right now, almost every minute this team has played this year, um, sometimes because I had to uh, for my job, because they, th- this was uh, – there were stretches, and you saw it when you talked about the slide, where this was not a good basketball team. And they just completely lost it. It was poof. And they're just shooting threes and offensively and defensively, especially offensively. But even at times defensively, they kind of turned into a mess. So uh, we know how good they can be. We also know that can fade away quickly. 100% right. And uh, you know what? We're going to find out. I'm fired up. I'm, I, 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 I have gone through long stretches where it's been difficult for me to watch the Shaka Smart era of basketball. Yep. But – I am excited to watch this game on Saturday because if Texas goes out there and plays lights out and plays with animation, everyone plays their role, guys are, are doing their thing, and, and you know, we see Matt Coleman control the game and, and either Febris 
or, you know, Courtney Ramey, you know, goes five of six from three-point land as they're capable of doing, you know, Andrew Jones, of course. Texas is, Texas is a freaking handful. Yeah. But they are all guns oh, blazing. And absolutely. I want to see it. I want to see it from these guys. That's what I dearly, dearly hope. I so, do, too. Uh, I'm tuning in. Let's hope experience wins out. I know experience won out in this case. One of our other family members, David McClellan, fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. He's been a part of the EGAT family for a little while, and he's helped out a lot of y'all. He does specialize in financial life coaching, also retirement planning. I mean, heck, just think about the last year, all the different things that have changed, things that are changing right now, not only with the market, um, but for you kind of where you're at so everyone's in a different spot obviously david can find out where you're at and give you a free consultation and then really help you find out where you need to get to so your financial freedom number maybe some things you could be doing differently to build your wealth and achieve financial freedom faster we're all looking for that his resume speaks for itself because of regulations there's really not much more we can say except give him a call it's a free consultation he's really good at what he does he is a multinational champion Texas swimmer. So, hey, if you're a national champion Texas swimmer, any of us that went to Texas, you know they're usually badasses, and he is one. 312-933-8823. 312-933-8823 or dmcclellan at forumfinfin.com. It was fun today, buddy. This one flew by. Absolutely. And uh, final Last words of confidence to imbue Longhorn fans with a, a surge of confidence and pride heading into Saturday's matchup with Abilene Christian. Abilene Christian has played only two Quadrant 1 opponents, Texas Tech and Arkansas, both in the NCAA tournament. They lost both games. They lost a dogfight to Tech, seven points, an ugly game. They got whipped by Arkansas by 13. 13, 85-72. In, in both of those games, Texas Tech and Arkansas dominated them on the offensive boards. Yep. And if Texas gets Jericho Sims, Kai Jones, and even, yes, maybe Greg Brown sufficiently motivated, or maybe Brock Cunningham in his place, Texas can absolutely dominate the offensive boards. And if they do that, they can set the pace for this game. Sounds good. We'll talk to you all next week. See you all.